Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hi, welcome to the Ivory Tower Boiler Rooms. Well, first, special news, we have reached 800 total plays, Adam. Um, so wow. cheers to that. That's um, amazing. Yep. Welcome to our last episode of season two. I can't mm. believe we made it. Um, yeah. And- For those of you listening, we actually, when we say season, we just mean literal seasons. Like this is the, this is the winter season. Season one was the, was the fall season. And like, it's, it's, it's very easy to keep track. Wait, will season too. three be the spring season? Damn right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm so ready. Okay. Um, and then when we get to the summer sunglasses season, and everything. the summer season, my whole voice, everything's going to change. You'll be like, Andrew is letting loose. Okay. But I don't like to bring the listeners into too much of my private life. However, we want to preface this discussion on mental health and then sexual assault with a few content warnings. Right, Adam? Yeah. Yeah, so we've been we've been talking about doing this episode for months, mm-hmm. and we're um, excited and also a little bit apprehensive that we're finally getting there. So the idea was to have two series of discussions, mm-hmm. um, one based on my experiences in the university and around it that would focus on things like depression and anxiety. And then we would talk about related topics like substance abuse and, um, you know, what, 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 what you might call the sort of, the, the sort of usual mental illnesses of grad school. Cause, cause that's part of what we're going to talk about today is that, is that mm-hmm. there are, there, there are such things just like, just like lost fingers are the usual in, injuries of a of a heavily mechanized industry and there's a lot of um resources that we have with this episode so we actually are going to have two google documents one will be the uh, mental health resources and like adam's saying there'll be statistics and there's um known research on graduate school and mental health um, and its impact so that will be our act one so to speak. So we want you to all be prepared for when you listen to this. I'm going to actually, if you hopefully, yeah, if you listen to it, it is, it's going to be intense. So we want all of our listeners to know that up front. Um, Adam and I are being very vulnerable and we have two guests with us who will introduce during our parts um, who are also going have agree to speak about their experiences, but are also really opening up and in a vulnerable space. Um, We've all done a lot of work this week leading up to this conversation, whether it be self-care mechanisms that we have. Um, Even as I come to you right now, I had an hour 
walk before this just jamming to music that I knew would get me in the headspace that I need. And um, I'm going to try to get Adam in agreement with a few songs that we can play during this episode. It's um, not going to happen. Oh, something will happen with songs. We will come to a compromise. But uh, <laughs> so that that's your act one. Um, right. And so act two. So act two is on sexual assault and my experience with that as a survivor. Um, and there'll be some media that I'll bring in just to speak to my process and how um, I've evolved um, in terms of therapy and just other aspects that have recently opened up for me. So um, it's going to be intense again. There'll be a lot of talk about, you know, violence, assault. Um, even I'm going to read a poem and my poem is intense. Um, so we want you all to be prepared. We don't want to surprise you. Um, we don't want to just shock you for the sake of shock because that's definitely an ethic we don't agree with. Yeah, that's antithetical um, to what we do here. Exactly. Um, so with all of that, is there anything else you want to add, Adam? I mean, what, what's, what follows, I think, is going to be complicated, difficult for us to do, perhaps difficult for you to listen to. Difficult for us to narrate. I hope difficult for you to listen to if you are involved in some form of university or any sort of scholastic administration. Like part of part of what we what we want to talk about is the environment in which these things take place. Because mm -hmm. depression doesn't exist in a vacuum, assault doesn't exist in a vacuum. And there's no way to talk about what happened to us, what our journeys were, what our I hate the word journey, what our Uh, what our paths were through whatever it's the same whatever fine but what's wrong um, here there, there's nothing there's there's no way to talk about ourselves in this way without talking about the context in which that happened the way we felt mm -hmm. let down by our respective administrations and we hope that whoever is listening um who is in a position to do something if you're if you're involved in a in a university department if you're an english teacher in a high school if you are a a parent mm -hmm. or anything that that you this this impacts every facet of our society so yeah, exactly um exactly. and i also want to say and recognize adam that adam and i have known each other now for seven years and is it seven mm -hmm. and um Shit. we have only barely touched the surface recently over the last yeah. few months yeah. of yeah. going as, into as, our experiences. As talkative as Andrew and I are when we get in each other's presence, this is not a subject we've been particularly voluble about. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure and... we'll get into why that might be and our, I was going to say journey too. Is that just in the air right now? Um, but no, the way that maybe we're, constructing our experience. Um, so mm -hmm. on that note, um, we're now going to turn to Adam discussing uh, his mental health 
experience in the university. Behold. All right. So, well, so welcome to the first part of this special episode of the Ivory Tower Boiler Room on mental health. Um, I want to foreground this discussion by saying that we have the privilege of having a special guest here. Erica, would you like to introduce yourself? Hi, I am uh, Erica Grimay. I have a master's degree in social work, so I had my own graduate school experience that I can talk about, and uh, I'm really glad to be here. Yeah, so so Erica is not just here as a as a moderator or an interviewer or whatever. Erica is here as a person, um, somebody who who went through grad school, somebody who went through some of the some some version of some of the things that I'm going to be talking about, and so we're going to discuss these things. But then Erica is here to bring a little bit of, I would say, philosophical rigor to the discussion as well and we met Erica through the writing group that's I mean that's that's important to emphasize is that like I mean Erica and I met um because we have a a, a sort of connection um so we we were introduced to each other on social media but then Erica joined the writing group and that's why we have this resource at our disposal um is because we became friends and partners and and so on and and so I, every every opportunity we have we emphasize the importance of the work that we do in connecting not the importance like on a global scale the importance to ourselves and to our being able to continue doing what we do whether it's writing whether it's just living in a healthy manner. Um, so anyway, Erica, welcome Thanks. to your inaugural, but I hope not final appearance on the Ivory Tower Boiler Room podcast. And let's just get right into it, right? Um, Erica is, is recording from her home in Central Florida. And do you want to say anything more before we start? Um, I, don't, I don't think so. I mean, everything else will probably come up as it comes up, I guess. Erica's wearing a very nice bandana right now that none of you can see, but we have that privilege. Maybe one day we'll record these uh, video and all, and then you'll see the bandana. But you will see a different bandana because it will be a different day and time will have passed. Anyway. So let's get into it. You can't really talk about grad school trauma without talk and grad school depression and anxiety and so on without talking about what came before, right? Um, and I do use the word trauma. I, we said this act is about depression and anxiety and the next act is about specifically about trauma such as assault and we are going to keep to that binary, but it's not a binary because there are people who like be, being depressed and anxious doesn't make you immune to other types of difficulties, right? So we, so we are going to talk about the intersectionality. What if you're depressed and anxious because you're in grad school and then you also 
experience some sort of sexual assault or some other form of trauma? Or what if the consequences of your depression and anxiety traumatize you? I mean, that's kind of what happened to me. So here we go. Um, so I've been depressed uh, and anxious as far back as I can remember, pretty much. Um, I was an exceptionally lively and talkative and even extroverted child before the age of 10. Um, my parents divorced around that time. I started getting splitting headaches. I started seeing a, psychi a psychologist. He emphatically did not help. I mean, we talked, but we didn't really talk about anything important. And then it just... <laughs> I let that lapse for a while. I tried therapy again for about a year in college and even tried to get my attention deficit disorder dealt with, uh, which didn't really receive a firm diagnosis until senior year of college. Um, the first time I really tried to get a handle on the anxiety, the depression, the all of those things was when it was really interfering with my relationships. And that was age 23. Basically, I was in a long-term relationship since the middle of college. And my, I guess she was my girlfriend at the time. She would later become my fiance, then ex-fiance, then girlfriend again, then wife, now ex-wife. Um, but she was my girlfriend at the time. And she said, you need to, to see somebody. Otherwise, we're not going to work. And she wasn't threatening. She was just stating the plain truth. I was not being a good partner. Um, whatever else was in, like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna throw blame or anything like that. She was right. I, I was not being a good partner. I went to therapy. I tried to get it sorted out. That began a very long process um, that included trying therapy adjacent things like 12-step programs. It was, it was a mess. Um, and fast forward a few years, um, in 2009, well, in 2010, I got into Stony Brook, got into the graduate program, and I wasn't going to go because I was now engaged to my girlfriend, and she didn't want to move out there, and I wasn't sure I wanted to move out there without her, or I didn't want to move out there without her. So I asked for a deferment of a year, but we broke up that summer. And one of the next calls I made a few days later was to Stony Brook. And I asked them if I could revoke the deferment and just go out there. And to my surprise, they said, yes. So I did. And that's how it was that in the summer of 2010, I was in Stony Brook. And the reason why I give all of this backstory is because nobody just shows up to a grad school as a new person with no baggage, right? I mean, I brought a piano, I brought books, but I also brought, you know, all of this. Um, and so one of the first things that I had to do once I got to Stony Brook was I had to get my mental health stuff in order. I'd been going to group therapy once a week and it was helping, I thought. I'd been getting a prescription for my... Um, ADHD that was making me incredibly, like, I literally couldn't keep my hands still. Um, 
Yeah. Well, it... go on. Well, no, I mean, I, I didn't deal with the ADHD piece of, of my own mental health stuff until long after I was out of grad school. I, I finished, I, I finished my master's degree in 2000 and I did not get treatment for my ADHD until I was, I don't know, maybe 42, 43, something like yeah. that. Yeah, that's not um, that uncommon. No, and especially, especially not with women. Um, my, I mean, I know somebody who's a psychiatrist who started getting ADHD treatments in her 50s. Like holy holy shit. Oh anyway, yeah, I mean but but that's 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 the that's the thing that we like you would think that somebody who's going to school for social work or psychiatry or something like that, that they that they would be the first person to get comprehensive mental health care. Right? Yeah. You're surrounded by counselors and yet you just kind of bumble through life. With your um, with your diagnoses undiagnosed and your problems unnoticed, much less unsolved, and so that's that's part of what we're talking about is that <clears throat> is that the college uh, a college often doesn't use its own resources. Yeah, my favorite strategy is bargaining. You know, well, um. I'm not okay now, but if I'm okay er in two, three, four, five, six weeks, whatever. Okay er is a really fine. good word. It's, it's it's really what it is. If right. I'm okay er, <laughs> you know, I'm not expecting to necessarily be like all that, but right, right, you know. and it, it's it's because it's because the 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 basic level of care is neglect. Right, yeah. your base, your basic medical plan, so to speak. As a grad student, absolutely. Not just as a grad, as as an American, as a as a human. As um, a young person. I mean, I wish I wish things were better in other countries, but I don't know a lot. Like, except for Bhutan, that has the famed happiness index. Like, I don't know a lot of countries that that actually pro, like that even that even have rhetoric surrounding yeah. surrounding. Um, the idea that that citizens are are supposed to are that citizens are not supposed to be quietly stewing away in in mental illness and depression and anxiety and frustration and and misery like it's just not it's just not an issue as long as you keep it quiet yeah and grad students in particular too i mean you know i know we don't want to make this a big numbers thing but no, in we, terms of counseling and resources thing. what Make it a numbers thing. Let's let's well, do that. Okay, so in terms of counseling and resources, the ratio of 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 available counselors through university counseling services to students is something like one counselor to every seventeen hundred students. Oh, um, and I mean, working in social work, I know my my caseload was overwhelming, and it was nowhere near. Did you not yeah. have 1,700 clients? As if. <laughs> Sometimes it felt like it. But no, I mean, as a graduate student, you know, between a regular job 
an internship, I had either one year I had a fellowship, one year I had an assistantship. Yeah. And a full course load. Yeah. Yeah. I slept between four and six hours on a good day. I spent tremendous amounts of time in my car, which also meant I ate most of my meals while I was driving. And we all know what that does and what you're eating if you're eating and driving at the same time. Right. Probably a lot and, of French fries. Yeah. You know, that and the, you know, any, anything that could keep me, just keep me going until right. I could, right. you know. Right. Um, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd stumble in the door, you know, eight, nine, ten o'clock sometimes. And sometimes, you know, if I was lucky, I'd, I'd have had something to eat. And if not, I'd then go and like grab something to eat and cram an hour of reading or two hours of reading and writing, whatever I needed to get done in and still try to have a social life and you know spend time with I was living I was living with my parents at the time which was I mean that that at least I mean it brought its own obvious additional layers of stress right but it did on one hand on the other hand take away the um a little bit of financial stress right I mean you didn't have to take loans for housing so whatever you were going through as as kind of magnificent a burden as that was, there are people who go through all of that and have housing yeah. loans. Oh yeah, I mean it was definitely a trade off. I mean, I you know I, a lot a lot of my friends weren't living with parents, but their their burdens were financial. Mine were emotional. I mean, right, right, because all the all the money that you saved on rent, you would eventually have to spend on therapy. <laughs> You could say that again. You, you could say it a lot of times. <laughs> I could so I could show you the bills. Oh God. Um, so, so I hope I hope we're giving I hope we're giving a, a basic picture of what all of this looks like to people who who are not familiar, and I hope that people who are familiar are nodding their heads and saying, "Yeah, that that sounds about right." Um, and, and what, what we're talking about, what Eric and I are talking about this, this applies to people who are not depressed as a rule, not anxious as a rule, not neuroatypical as a rule. This applies to everybody. Grad school is a, a scary and difficult experience. And you wouldn't be out of your beyond your rights to say a traumatic experience and so to add to all of that the the um the previous diagnoses or in my case the pending diagnoses because i wasn't actually diagnosed with depression until i was in grad school um but so to add to that all of the diagnoses of um, I have mental unwellness and neuroatypicality and stuff like that. It's a lot. It really is a lot. And when I look back on the last decade, because it has been a decade and change since 
since I started this this journey. Um, I don't look at things like you know publication record, which is non basically non-existent, um, because I, I had other things to sort out. You know, I was in this quicksand bog, and people are saying, "Well, why haven't you published yet?" And I'm like, "Because I'm in a quicksand bog." Who worries about publishing when they're worried about suffocating? And and that 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 whole you know push to publish, to mm -hmm. be creating your own independent research. Right. I mean, that's a huge additional stressor on grad students who, right. and you know, in terms of university mental health services, and I you know worked with the university mental health services as a grad student, although not directly in the counseling area, I was in a different part of, of the student health service. Um, a lot of, and in a lot of places, they're just not prepared to deal with grad students who are a totally unique population. And even compared to other professional students. What do you mean by unique population? They're, they're, grad students are at a different, at a different life stage usually. Um, even if you come in directly out of your undergraduate program, you're older, a little, um, you know, you're dealing with a different degree of usually family support, you know, right. in college, a lot of us are able to at least rely on a phone call home to learn how to navigate just some of the basic stuff that we're transitioning into as adults. And you know, even when we're not totally on solid ground and familiar with how to do some of that stuff, whatever it is, you know, maybe it's dealing with your health insurance, for example, for the first time on your own. Right. Um, you know, we, we don't necessarily have that when we're in grad school. And then, you know, for a lot of people, it also means that we're dealing with different relationships, different kinds of interpersonal relationships, marriage, divorce, whatever. Uh, a lot of the time, graduate students are relocating to unfamiliar cities with no social support. I mean, the right. list keeps going and right. going and going and going. And these are totally different stressors than a lot of undergraduates have because you come in as an undergraduate and things are set up to provide that social support for you and to provide that transition for you, you know, to support you in it. It's not always there when you're entering a graduate program. Yeah, yeah. people you are suddenly expected to know things right. that you didn't know six months ago as an undergrad. Sure. Um, yeah, uh, so, so when, I, when, I, um, when I moved out to Stony Brook, which by the way is Erica's hometown, um, complete coincidence. Um, but when I moved out to Stony Brook, I found, I, I, I went out there by car because I was near enough, um, I was what, 30, 40 miles away. Um, mm -hmm. I went out there by car, picked a place, which isn't necessarily a something that, that you can do if you're moving across the country. Um, I picked a place, it was a rundown, I, 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 I referred to it during my two years in residence there as the Castle Despair um god the, that place was was a shit heap and it was atop a uh an incline the 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 driveway 
you could leap to your death up from the top of the driveway to the bottom of the driveway if you were so inclined. It was it was a scary driveway to be walking a bicycle down in snowy weather. Um, so it was the castle despair atop the precipice despair. I had this whole fantasy scenario, and it's precisely because, you know, some part of me knew that this wasn't an acceptable living situation. I don't mean for me. I mean for for a human. Um, and it wasn't it wasn't even entirely the landlord's fault. It was mostly the fault of my roommates who were undergrads and who were not equipped to live in polite society. Um, I just want to throw in that that the like the 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 availability of off-campus student housing there is atrocious, and it's pretty much an area you can't navigate without a car. Correct. So, I mean, these my are first all... my first year yeah. there, I did it with a bike, and it was fine. But that's because I was I was going I was um, I was living alone, so right. I could literally fit my groceries for a few days into the basket of my bicycle. Um, mm -hmm. And there was this one sort of farm stand, and I would buy like massive amounts of fresh mm -hmm. peaches when they were in season, and just eat them on the way home while while holding the bicycle one uh, steering the bicycle one handed. Um, I, I fell in with a cohort, right? Because there were other people in my year at the English department. There were like, there were a lot of bright points. I, I was too sick to go to class one day and somebody brought me um, ginger ale and soda crackers. Um, right, I mean, there is a, like, there is a reason I continued. There's a, there, there was, um, I fell in with the Jewish community. Uh, that was a considerable source of support. Um, I mean, that's going to be the theme eventually, right? Especially, especially as we talk about um, this thing that Andrew and I and Erica and Mary are involved in this this writing group and this podcast and stuff like that. That's going to be the theme is going to be look to your friends for support. And the unfortunate subtext is because you're sure as shit not going to get it from university directly um but we're talking i mean i'm talking about support that i found in my 10th year of this process right i mean i i i i was in a writing group earlier this is actually this is actually something i want to i want to talk about mm -hmm. is that um maybe my second or uh my my Ah, screw it. Let's go in order. Okay. I, I, I want to talk about the writing group. We'll table that. Um, my first year of grad school, I showed up. I decided I, 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 was, I was fresh from my weekly group therapy thing. So I knew the value of that in my life. I wanted to set something up in Stony Brook. So I immediately went to CAPS, which is the Psychological Services uh, building department, whatever you call it, and tried to find a way to get pills and therapy from them because I needed them. But I had to jump through hoops. I had to get a, a, an official diagnosis from like a guy who did neuro, neurological testing right? Um, so that I could get my uh, ADHD meds directly from the pharmacy at Stony Brook because 
Is there a controlled substance? So I did that, cost a hundred bucks. Um, that wasn't a problem for me. It probably just, would have been a problem for someone else. I was gonna say, just what grad students have an abundance of is money. Yeah. Well, it cost a hundred bucks. Plus I had to drive back and forth. Like there are soft costs like gas and, uh, and time and time. stuff like that. Yeah. Those, those, those were my two riches, right? Was time and money on my $15,000 a year stipend. Um, anyway, so, and, and I'm not, I'm not knocking it. $15,000 is like basically what you make if you have a full-time job on minimum wage. I'm, I'm saying, I'm not saying I shouldn't have been in this position. I'm saying nobody should have been in this position. Right. Um, I mean, I think universities in general tremendously undervalue the contributions and the work of graduate students, but that's another rant for another day. <laughs> um, we should, we'll, we'll have to footnote our other rants. Um, <laughs> good God. There's, there's going to be 17,000 of them. People are going to be like, wow, you used up all of the terabytes in Google just with, <laughs> just with your rants about what's wrong with grad school. <sighs> have to move on to Yahoo. Anyway, um, there are going to be people who listen to this who don't even know what Yahoo is. I, so. I, I was going to say GeoCities, but you know, that's even, that's even old for you. So I know what, you, oh, fuck you. Um, so, so the, <laughs> I was alive in the 90s and, and aware of things. I was in college in the 90s. I <laughs> grad school <laughs> anyway so so the first the, that like the first month i was involved in this by by maybe september or october and i i think of this as a win but it took like two months or three months that's my whole first semester sure right to get this stuff rolling and what what if i had act like i actually did swimmingly my first semester I feel like like I wrote I, I started my essays early. I, I I actually kept a I remember very clearly that I kept a running total of the number of books that I read that semester and it was 25. Wow. Yeah, 25, 25 books cover to cover. And I'm not even talking about the articles and all the other all the all the things that I read in PDF and stuff like that, which was basically my other life. Like I was reading for pleasure on the side. I was doing all like it was it was a good time. But it it didn't have to be, right? And if it I hadn't it. been, that safety net was was gone, you know. So so that's the first two years. Um, was I had that, but I also Stony Brook only offers ten sessions of counseling per year per student. That's not enough. So I started that in January and I was done with it by May, mm -hmm. which is great because that lined up. But the following year, I went to, to register again. They literally did not call me back. I wish I could make this up. I wish I were exaggerating. I wish I were pretending. They did not call me back. And I was in the middle of a depressive spiral and I, I needed them to call me back and they did not. And when they, and when, and when they came back, they apologized and they gave me my 10 sessions and that was it. And I, I was supposed to be good with that. And that was it. I just want to jump in for a second. If you've never experienced that whole depressive spiral thing, 
you kind of get there. And I mean, I talked about bargaining and negotiating with myself. There's that. But then there's also this paralysis where you know you need to do something but you are just exactly. so paralyzed exactly. by the way you're feeling that you can't. Yeah, exactly. And um, you can't reach out necessarily either to right. say to somebody, I, I need you to help me do this or I need you to do right. this for me. Right. Or whatever. I mean, that, that. Yeah, I would have. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, and that's, I that's a really good point. You know, it, by the time I was at a point where I, I was able to do that, it was, you know, I had been dealing with depression and anxiety for at least probably 30 years. And the only reason that I kind of got pushed to that limit was I had a panic attack trying to trying to drive my own car one day to oh, like crap. go pick up my kids. Like I went, I'd had panic attacks while I was driving before, but this particular day I went outside to go get in the car to go pick my kids up from school and I sat down in the car and I couldn't do it I couldn't close the door I couldn't turn the key I just like I was just over the edge and and it it was at that point when I said okay obviously I can't function like this but it that's what pushed me to actually say to somebody I need help and I'm not able to make those phone calls by myself. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's it. Yeah, I the, know you're laughing. The cat just jumped on me and right. Adam can see the, this. The cat's like, I'll rescue you from your panic attack by sitting on your head like a middle school bully. On my shoulder, on my chest, whatever sort of. Anyway, um, it is a shame. It is a shame that the that the the school the the people that um, are listening to this are not going to get the full visual, right? Erica's <laughs> here, pouring her heart out, and the cat comes over and says, "Want to play? Want to play? Is this a good time? This seems like a good time." Maybe I'll take. But a that's actually I want to post it. I, I get the sense that that's actually a really good visual representation of what's going on because you're expected to just keep interacting right and and i want to and i want to point out i mean you don't you don't exactly schedule your panic attacks it's in nobody's best interest to have a person driving and have a panic attack this is all right true. right so wait so weigh the cost of getting a person proper medical care because it is medical care and specifically proper psychiatric care against the cost of a 15 car fucking pileup right yeah which which one which one is actually going to cost you more in the long run um and and that's exact that's exactly i mean you were talking about about how universities don't value their grad students that's a smaller subset of the fact that society doesn't value its citizens as much as as it really should and so you end up with with people having to make these calculations on their own how much more can i deal with because help isn't coming yeah so then we get into the whole trauma like the whole trauma thing i mean you were talking about being traumatized by your graduate school experience yeah 
I mean, for me, trauma was informing the research that I was doing and right. the right my thesis and my yeah. thesis topic. So I would say me as well. Go on. I'm juggling a thesis, you know, my thesis and my master's project because we had this whole active component requirement where we had to produce not only the written piece but uh, a an actual project that like turned out something. Uh, and the, my particular subspecialty required that it was done collaboratively. So, you know, I'm negotiating not only my piece of that, but all of the, the stuff that comes along with collaboration. Right. And anybody who's worked collaboratively on something like that knows how group projects work. And then like we had to do something like we had to remove a person from our group because she was dealing with a substance abuse issue, which is not uncommon in grad school. We haven't even touched that. Um, that was negatively impacting our ability to work. Right. Um, and because you were under pressure, instead of being able to like deal with her as as, as she deserved, yeah. you you just had to cut her loose. Well, oh yeah. I mean, and you know, in a social work program, you would think that we'd be you know, well set up to at least intervene in such a way that we made sure that she got the support she needed, not that we were providing the support. No, of course. We weren't equipped for that. Of and, course, you were still you know, students. Not only that, there's ethical stuff that gets involved and, and everything. Um, right, and then, right, right, right. You know, and then of course, I, you know, I'm, I'm writing a thesis about uh, best practices related to uh, Certain, certain kinds of campus responses to uh, sexual assault and violence on campus. Oh, and what, I'm sorry, what? I said, oh shit. Yeah, and then dealing with trauma from my own experience. Right. With, well, um, so with that's... sexual assault. And I mean, it's, it's just, it gets piled on and piled on and right. piled on. And as graduate students, we're not, no, we're not in general. And I say we, even though I'm not a grad student anymore, um but not not only are we not getting the support we need the structures for that don't exist structures um, for getting support support don't exist for graduate students right in the department where the people who see you the most often are not necessarily looking out in the ways that they need to that that you know that you need them to be uh they're not even necessarily, they're not necessarily prepared to direct you to the places where you need to be going. Um, and when I say structured support, I mean, not just go see the mental health people. I mean, social support that is in, within your department that isn't just focused on normalizing resiliency. Right. And you know, I right. keep going on and on about and we've, not- And we've had, we've had, um people on our podcast and we've talked about initiatives that individual professors can can take and we've talked about the initiatives that we've taken Andrew and I with Erica and Mary and everybody else to provide those kinds of social support but those I mean as long as something requires individual initiative it's going to be the exception and not the rule um, because you're relying on people who are 
in these situations, right? Pulling yourself up by your bootstraps is not something that the laws of physics permit, right. unless your bootstraps are attached to somebody else and so on. So and those initiatives too that you're talking about only last for as long as there's somebody there willing to do them. So when you're exactly. done, when you graduate, there's not necessarily somebody there to pick up right. and do it for the right. next There's not a baton ceremony for like a writing group or a social group or whatever. The people that I was so close with in grad school, I haven't spoken to them in a few years. Same here. Same here. I really I feel, I feel bad anybody. about that. One of them's in Germany, one, like, but one of them's here, one or two are here in New York and I just, we, I don't know, we lose touch. And that's, I feel bad about that, but also that's part of the problem, right? Is that there needs to be some sort of institutional continuity. I mean, can you imagine if everything else in grad school were done with the same laissez-faire attitude that the mental health and even the physical health of the students is subjected to, right? If classes, were based on individual initiative instead of like instead of the department heads saying you have to teach this class or you have to teach a class i need your syllabus by a certain date i need your grades by a certain date uh, it needs to cover this much material it needs to you need to assign this this much in the way of writing that's all that's all regimented but even the requirements for graduation in grad school aren't in you know in in a lot of a lot of ways i mean it's it's not like you have to take one two three four five six seven eight nine sequence of classes and then you're done right you know there's 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 a lot of you know nebulous sort of well you're yeah. done when you're done after you've advanced to candidacy and that's true and, well so something i want to i want to touch on that you brought up mm -hmm. and i think this might be our last um major point because the idea here is just to t is to introduce these issues we're not going to solve anything but we do want to raise awareness we do want to uh, prompt discussion right mm -hmm. so you were saying that your thesis was about mm -hmm. responses to sexual assault right and that that was a personal topic for you right um, and so in a way you were confronting your own issues every time you had to pick up that pen or put your fingers on that keyboard and, sure. and carry on, carry your thesis a few, a few steps further down the road towards where you could hand it in. Right. Right. And right. so, and, and that's, that's a form, I mean, that's a form of self-care, right? People, a lot of people go into grad school because they think that it will help them with the, with the missing piece in their own lives. I mean, a lot of people who go into mental health, like the, there's, there's the sort of joke about how um, people who go into mental health related industries like you did, like how can you lead people out of crazy town if you've never been there yourself? Sure. Although right? I kind of backwards, my, my whole path into social work was kind of backwards, but I get what you're, what you're saying there. Um, so, so at, at the very least, like, I mean, pe people, people in social work fields, people in psychological and psychiatric fields are necessarily are 
almost necessarily there because they're confronting their own issues. I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's a hundred percent to the point where we can make it like a scientific theory, but it's pretty like, I don't know a person who went into psychology who, who wasn't at least partly there to confront their own mental health issues. Maybe I you think, do. Well, I mean, I think, I think everybody I know, everybody I can think of from that, you know, that I was thinking of in grad school, not that each of us individually had experienced something, but that some like our, for as a personal issue, but that somehow we were affected by it, even if that was somebody else in our life, like right, right. the sister of somebody I'm thinking of right, uh, exactly. had been dealing with borderline personality disorder. And so she had the experience of, of, of dealing with her life as the sibling of that person. I as I said, I kind of got ended up there back sort of in a backwards sort of way. I was actually looking at um, student affairs and university administration and somebody, uh, my mother happens to work at Stony Brook and somebody said, well, did she apply to the program, the social work program here? Cause they have this subspecialty. I actually had, had accepted an offer from NYU already. Um, and had gone through a whole lot of, you know, interviews and, and orientation stuff there. And, and then this offer at Stony Brook popped up and money, I mean, Stony, Stony Brook was offering money that uh, is pretty much non-existent in, you know, master's level programs. Yeah, that's, um, yeah. that tends to be the difference. Yeah, and, and I mean, how can you not jump at that on, you know, as a graduate right. student? Right. And I want to I want to bring up my case because I obviously wasn't in a social work or psychological background. Um, but my my dissertation. Um, the title was the epic poet as epic hero in 16th and 17th century English literature. And it was very clear to me, especially at the time, and certainly in hindsight, that I was writing a a personal narrative of my encounter with these stories. I mean, it has academic rigor. I cited my sources. There are lots of footnotes. You can you can check them. But the base, like the the underlying, like the the reason I wrote a few words a day or a few pages a day was because I wanted to find out how these poets took back their narrative from the people who are trying to take it away from them, from the government, from the church, from the people in their lives. Um, and so, and the, the result of that was I think very therapeutic, but the process of it was incredibly difficult. And it was a process of facing my own problems, facing my own issues. Um, and I think that's, I don't, I don't necessarily have a grand point to make based on that. But the idea is that what, what we're wrestling with is not just a piece of writing. If it was write something that's 250 pages long and that ends in a substantial bibliography, that might not be as big an issue as write something that's new and that's important 
and that's interesting and and that that makes a substantial intervention into your chosen field when you ask somebody to do that and they're like 25 at the time or what was i 28 maybe what you're asking them to do is to draw on something that they're actually interested in, which means drawing on their personal history of mental illness, of trauma, just of experience, right? Mm -hmm. And it is an incredibly difficult thing, right? That thesis was my sort of personal hero's quest, just as I was arguing that writing The Fairy Queen was Edmund Spencer's personal hero quest. And so, so, yeah, I don't, I don't think that there's going to be a concluding, a concluding tie, tie together. It's being in grad school is hard. Being a person is hard. Being a person in grad school is hard. It's not and necessarily harder at than that. At the age that many people are in grad school is tremendously yeah. hard. Yeah. From I mean, I'm a developmental psych nerd. I will I will exactly that. Exactly. You know? Accepting adult responsibilities sure. while you're also learning this new depth to which research can excavate and anyway. Um yeah, I mean, you know, there's there's a whole lot that you know I can say about best practices, but the bottom line is our universities aren't providing the support that our grad students need. Right, right. but they're and expecting the support. Our grad students are relying on themselves and on each other to sort of cobble together those support systems and, and right. in order to produce better, you know, I think we'll produce better, better work and healthier grad students if we can kind of work together to shift that and and to encourage more you know developing more of these best practices yes as we go yes yes and and we'll and we'll prevent these these catastrophic failures i mean your your um your group member flaming like flaming out of your group because of drug abuse yeah. there's no need for that um, we didn't even talk about the the thing that I that I had signposted, I don't know, half an hour ago, where I was in a I was in a a group, right? I was in a writing group that met once a week and exchanged writing and critiqued each other's writing and stuff like that. And it was great. And I just didn't have the the stability to stay in it. I I mean I took it for granted, maybe, maybe mm -hmm. I would say so, but I just I just couldn't keep up. Right. That's the basics. I couldn't keep up. There were these, there were expectations on me and I couldn't keep up. And if I were in that group now, probably, probably better. Or maybe I would say, you know what, this group is not for me. You know, we, we have, we have a new group now that, that, um, that I attend when I can. And when I, when I, when I choose to, and that suits my needs better. And I'm there almost every day. You you're, know? And you're there almost every day because that suits your needs. I'm there usually once a week, sometimes twice a week, sometimes zero times a week, because that's what I that's what I have. We miss you when you're not there, though. Oh, but the, but that's but that's the point, right? Is that is that we're talking? I mean, we're talking like 
I was living in Manhattan when I was in that other group. And that places that incident in, I want to say, 2012 or 2013. And that, so, so it was seven, it, it took me seven years right. to recover from that and to find a new writing group and to find a new cohort and to find like a new way of being productive mm -hmm. and of, get, of, of writing my pages every day or every other day. And that's, that's lost time. And that's time, the reason why that's lost time is because I didn't have institutional support. So when, when I wasn't able to take advantage of my, the social support, because I wasn't well enough, right? I mean, running, running, uh, being a distance runner is really good for you, but if you're not able to be a distance runner, you can't benefit from it. And that's the situation I was in. And, anyway, yeah, and we could we know, could talk around this forever. Sure, and I mean, I I want to just also throw out there that as a grad student, you're in a very competitive environment, and yeah. it, asking for help is always hard. Yeah. And fighting the battle of the vision of the potential consequences and showing weakness yeah. is not helpful either. Yeah. So I want to just remind everybody that it's not weakness. It's not. It and is I, essential. Exactly. And I want to add to that. The one, the, the, the one thing, and I'm going to say it's the one thing, but it's a huge thing. It's unbelievably huge. The one thing that, that I drew strength on year after year in grad school was that my cohort, specifically those six people of which I was one, we did not see ourselves as rivals. We knew that the market was bad. We knew that we were not in competition with each other to get a job because there, there weren't that many jobs. And if there were, maybe we would get one, maybe we wouldn't. I mean, like I said, one person's in Germany. I was clearly not in competition for him for those tasty Marburg English teaching positions. So we treated each other as friends, and as colleagues and as allies. And if you can't do that with your friends, with your cohort, with your, with your equals, with your colleagues at grad school, you're missing out on your most important and most attentive and most useful resource. And that's a shame because what you're letting them do, what you're letting the, the amorphous them do is take expectations that are coming from the top, right? Publish, get, uh, interview, get a job, move up, get tenure, all that stuff. Those, those top-down expectations, and you're letting them divide you from the people who are your natural allies and who are your first and often last line of defense against burnout and mental illness and toxic drug use and everything else that is going to be your obstacle to those things that you may actually want to do like publishing and getting tenure and blah, 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 right? You're much better off treating your colleagues as allies and friends than as competition. Yeah, oh yeah. I mean, if it weren't for being able to work with my cohort and we were originally 12 and then we were 11 in my in my subspecialty what happened to the 12th um he had some family stuff going on and so he 
uh, he ended up taking a year, a part of a year off and graduating the following year. Got it. Um, okay. So he was around for our first year, but not our second. Got it. Um, and uh, I mean, if it weren't for them, you know, we, there's no way that I could have certainly gotten through. I mean, you know, it was yeah. everything from remembering to fax me, yeah, faxing way back when, <laughs> uh, a copy of notes on a day that I was sick and missed class to um, our end of the year, you know, our, our, our end, end of the year. It was really the end of grad school. Um, sitting down and putting together scrapbooks for the two professors who had sort of shepherded us through the whole thing from beginning to end and were our advisors and confidants and support and and every and everything and um, you know top 10 you know we cre creating top 10 lists of things that we were told in grad school and being able to write down some of those more humorous things. I mean, I think I told you that about crackhead is not a clinical diagnosis. You know, having a having that group of people to share it with was essential to getting through. But there's so much more that we need, and so much systemic change that needs to happen yeah. throughout the entire experience. Agreed.